when I was looking at chapter 4 of the book of Revelation, you as a pastor, you think, okay, what title are we going to give this sermon? And um, as I've been doing this work for a while, uh, initially you think, as a student just out of seminary, that you know each passage only has like one you know title possible and one theme possible and and one outline possible, and you're all sort of, at least in my experience, was a little bit uptight about that. Uh, but you know, you relax a little as you grow older, and uh, you get a little more confident about things. Uh, but I had the challenge this week to say, what is the title for this sermon, this message? And I decided that I would call it Casting Crowns. Um, let's see, you have it in your bulletin somewhere, uh, the outline. Casting crowns, there it is. And the theme that I've given this is God is worthy of uh, our worship and praise now and forever. He sure is. In the next two chapters, four and five, the focus shifts from that focus on the seven churches, which are presented as the churches in this world, in all of the church history, Old Testament, New Testament combined, uh, represents the people of God and uh, who, who they are and what they are and the need in which uh, the need that they have to uh, be faithful to the Lord who has saved us. But now the focus shifts. It shifts from the earth to heaven, doesn't it? And this is an anticipation of the uh, chapters, mostly six through eighteen, which are filled, of course, with the judgment announcements. Uh, because before Christ returns, there will be judgment. There will be the day of judgment and the judgments that lead up to the day of judgment, which is what I think is going on in chapters 6 through 18. Um, it leads, of course, to the culminative, culmination point where Satan is judged forever and all who follow him and uh, reprobate uh, along with them as well. Um, but uh, there are these judgments, and I understand these judgments to have the intent of being God's grace to the nations. It is by judgments that God is merciful in calling the nations to repent and to believe and trust in His Savior, Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So this is what we are uh, focusing on in uh, chapters 4 and 5. The focus is on heaven. So before the judgments uh, 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 are unleashed in those various ways, uh, we have this uh, focus on heaven and particularly what's inside of heaven. Um, because um, the church on earth draws its consolation and comfort, doesn't it, from what takes place in heaven. Um, as we have the Lord's Supper, we say, Sursum Corda, lift up your hearts into heaven, uh, because that is where our hope is, that is where our consolation is, that is where our Lord is, who came down to earth in order to take us up to heaven with him someday. Uh, and some of our brothers and sisters, many of them, over the centuries, have already gone before us. And we call that the church in glory. But we are the church militant. We are the church at war. And so we have to find our place in this world. We can't, do, we can't move away from the world. There's no other place 
there's no place in this world, uh, we talked about that this week, uh, that we can say, well, here I'm safe as a Christian, you know, I can be a Christian, I can live my life as a Christian privately and publicly. Um, there is no such place in this world. We have to endure, we have to persevere, and we know that God is with us. Um, but the focus in this sermon is obviously then on worship, the worship that takes place as John saw that um, in his, uh, the vision that God gave him. And so it says in the opening verses, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. My first point in um, the outline is to uh, remind ourselves that there is an open door. When I uh, consulted various commentaries this week, uh, I noticed that uh, almost uh, uh, that, that none of them um, uh, really paid any particular attention to this uh, opening uh, verse, uh, that the door of heaven is open. I thought to myself, well, uh, and Joel and I talked about this uh, in another context yesterday, pastors have to be careful that they don't uh, you know, present things that are new and novel that nobody else has ever thought about, because uh, that's probably potential for heresy. Uh, but uh, it just seems to me that we shouldn't overlook this opening statement that the door of heaven is open. And maybe I read too much into that, but I would like to think that that is a, a representation of the state of grace. The gospel age is still ongoing. Um, and so the open door has significance uh, because it is the voice that John hears and by that voice he is called up to come into the throne room of heaven. And so there is that call to worship, to enter into the presence of the living God. And so when we think about how we worship the Lord from Sunday to Sunday, we also have the call to worship. And I pray that I am not responsible for you thinking that, okay, this is just the one first you know, portion in the liturgy uh, by which the rest will follow. Um, the call to worship is steeped in the Bible because it is, it is God himself who calls us together into his presence, even though we're still on this earth and fighting the war of faith. But there is an open door, and that open door is given to us, the people of God, the people for whom the Lamb shed His blood, and so we're called into the very presence of God by faith today, and in sight, maybe tomorrow. Psalm 104, enter His gates with thanksgiving. Psalm 118, open the gates of righteousness, I will enter into them and praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so we are called to enter into the presence of God, as John had the experience of doing that in that in the spirit mode that he was given. All the nations are called to worship. God wants his glory to cover the whole earth. That is the ultimate focus of the Old and New Testament. That the glory of which God has been robbed by our sin, that that would be restored so that in the new heaven and new earth, 
that glory, that perfection, that beauty of God is reflected in every detail of the new creation. And so when we have the scene of heaven, we have a scene in which the creation is restored and the new creation presents itself before a holy God. And it is described by way of these persons or creatures that are given to us in this text. The four living creatures and the 24 elders. But they are in that throne room and they present their worship to the living God. Not all who, en who, not all who are called to enter, enter, do they? Many hear the call to worship and spurn it, disregard it, reject it. Including those who outwardly claim to be disciples of Jesus Christ, but aren't. There is a lot of that going on in the Old Testament when we hear the prophecies, for example, of Ezekiel, who himself has been given these visions, amazing visions, that really uh, dovetail with the vision that we see develop here in the life um, of, of the Apostle John. Uh, but in Ezekiel 44, the Lord says, no one shall enter, and then what follows? In verse 9, no foreigner, no uncircumcised in heart and flesh of all the foreigners among the people of Israel shall enter my sanctuary. And then there is this um, prophetic judgment that is cast upon the Levitical priesthood, who after all were the appointed ones to represent the people to come before God in his holy temple. And before they would begin their, to uh, do their officiating on behalf of Israel, they would have the basin there, um, which was also referred to as a sea of some sort, a sea, that basin filled with water by which they would ceremonially cleanse themselves. Um, they too are described as having really uh, done abominable things, it says in that text. So we should not just assume. We should not be presumptive about God's grace, about our s s uh, status before God as his chosen people in Christ. Uh, we cannot come before the Lord when we think that we deserve to be there. Because we come, as Luther said at the end of his life, we come as empty, uh, as beggars. We've got empty hands, nothing to show for, except our sinfulness, our unworthiness. But it is a gracious God who fills these sinners' hands with his grace and his mercy all-sufficient. But there is nevertheless that caution, that warning. Psalm 5 verse 5 says, The arrogant cannot stand in God's presence. Let us not be arrogant. Let us not think that we are better than anybody else. For if it were not of the, for the grace of God... Who would we be? Where would we be this morning? Not here. Mm -hmm. Only the righteousness of Christ covers us to the cleansing blood of Jesus so that we are able to cast our crowns in worship and adoration before the Lord today. What is worship? This is a response to the call to worship, mm -hmm. to enter into the presence of God. And I hope that from this day onward, that any Sunday that comes around before Jesus returns or he takes us into heaven and he calls us, that when we hear the call to worship, we pause a second at least.
and say, what are we doing here? We're doing something in anticipation of the greatest call to worship that is coming, that is very imminent, and which we aspire to come soon, and we say, Lord Jesus, come quickly. So the open door, I do believe, is very significant. It is a reflection of the age in which we still live, and it is a uh, focus on heaven's worship to which we aspire um, as a church still living in this world, afflicted by all the trials and troubles that we face, both privately and also as churches sometimes, um, and then, of course, in the turbulent world in which we live. Well, the second uh, thought here that I want to focus on is the heaven's king and his throne. Commentators do point out the fact, and it's kind of striking to me, that when we hear these descriptions given of what the inside of the throne room of heaven looks like, that there is no greater attention given to the one who sits on the throne. It's all in rather vague terms, the one. What does that mean? Uh, why, does, uh, why does the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, not tell us, and Yahweh was on the throne, or, or the Lord Jesus Christ uh, on the throne? Um, yeah. I don't know for sure, but uh, we, don't, we do know that the superintendence of the Holy Spirit, by which we have the Word of God today, uh, uh, makes no mistakes. So it seems to me then that the message of this vagueness is to point to the significance of the throne then. So it's, it's assumed that the one who sits on the throne is the all-over-supreme God of the universe, the creator of this creation, but that we have to focus on the, on, the, on, the, on the meaning of the throne there, and then the depiction of these thrones that are encircling the throne, and these four living creatures who are also around the throne, or on each of the sides of the throne, it says. For sure, we have an image here, and we're impressed by the holiness, the splendor, the majesty, the glory. And what a day it will be when we see that. You and me. Can you imagine that one day we will see this in its realization, in its realized form, that we bow our heads and our hands and our hearts in full and complete, without reserve, in worship before the King who sits on the throne. We also notice the proximity. There is real proximity, isn't there, between the one who sits on the throne and those four living creatures and the 24 elders. That proximity suggests that there is great intimacy going on. The one on the throne is the sovereign Lord, and he executes his will and his purposes flawlessly, sovereignly. He does not uh, engage these individuals and these uh, creatures, the four living creatures, and say, now let's have a conversation about what we'll do this week down below on earth. Um, God issues forth from his throne his thunderings. You know, all these things that are described as taking place as coming from the throne that are beginning to announce the judgments, as it were, audibly, visually. Um, he is the one who rules all things, controls all things, but he uses, by his will, the four living creatures and these 24 elders. 
And so these are in the presence of God. And all these descriptions I noticed when I went through the passage in the Greek language, the present particle tense is used most often and only once is there a future tense, future participle tense mentioned. Um, and, and so the sense of that is that we are seeing something that has an ongoing effect and it will culminate in the future, because there is still future to history, and that is when Jesus comes again and all these things will then be completely fulfilled. But the throne room of heaven is a place where God is very close to those he has ordained to be used in the execution of his final will and purpose for the world in which we live. And that also gives us comfort that these 24 elders and elders uh, should not be confused with the elders that are appointed in the local church. Most commentators say that the 24 here is a representation of those who led Israel in the Old Testament and the church in the New Testament. That is the tribes as well as the apostles. And in these two are represented you and I. Because that is, of course, the role of a person who is appointed in today's church as an elder. You represent the body of Christ, in a way. Um, and so these who are before the throne of God, not far away from him and say, well, we don't deserve to be so close to you. God has called them into his presence. He's called you and me into his very presence. And there is no barrier that separates them from approaching the throne of God. And then when the four living creatures give homage and praise to him, and it sounds like they do that uh, intermittently perhaps, but it says, and as soon as they do that, what do the 24 do? The elders on the throne, they come off their thrones and they bow down and they cast their throne, their crowns before the Lord because he is worthy because he is the king. So often we think that we are the kings of this world. We are the kings of our own little thrones, our own little lives. Um, and when that attitude takes over in the life of the church, we're all in trouble, right? Uh, because we have thrones, yes, we have positions of service. That's all it is. I have, I'm an office bearer. I'm ordained, I'm installed, ordained and everything. I went through all this process, brother, you too. Um, but uh, all it means is that we have been prepared and equipped for service. That's all that we are. We are servants. And so as servants, we prepare, equip you for service this week. And we are also doing that in anticipation that all of our service combined will truly be pleasing to the Lord. That we will offer our lives, our hearts, our minds. Don't forget your mind. You were called to use our minds. And not to fill our minds with trash and garbage. There's a lot of garbage out there. On the visuals that you see in your phones and your computers and what have you. On the billboards or on TV screens. But that we fill our minds with wisdom. With understanding. With discernment. So that we would be better equipped again. To be of greatest use to the Lord who is the Lord. Who is the King who sits on his throne and who calls us into worship of himself. And so he is the one who has this great honor and glory to himself. There's a rainbow that it's arched across the throne on which he is seated. And it is, of course, for us a reminder, children, that our, the rainbow, uh, what does that remind you of? 
Tell me. Do you know? Noah. Yes. Give that man something. <laughs> Noah. God promised to Noah and in Noah to the creation that God would never again place the judgment of the flood over the whole creation of his. It's, I would say, then a reminder to the churches that remember what God said to Noah. He says it to you today. I will be faithful to you. I will be present with you. And as you pass through the waters, as you pass through the fires of life, and the storms that come through our lives and our ways, I'll be with you. Don't doubt a moment that the word I spoke, I spoke not truthfully. God is ever true to himself. He can't be otherwise, can he? And that is what then they do in heaven. They cast crowns. There's a music group. I know. Uh, there are maybe people here who only listen to uh, classical music. Uh, I'm a fan of classical music. Uh, I have my favorites. Um, but, uh, you know, I uh, grew up post-Second World War, and uh, uh, there's a group, uh, a gospel group, called Casting Crowns. And I invite you, encourage you, uh, to, to listen to some of their music. Um, it's led uh, by a person who was a pastor in the, uh, I think, Southern Baptist Convention, uh, who took up that, that challenge to uh, start this group, and they've produced... Uh, you know, records, and one of them is entitled Casting Crowns. I thought, well, that is really what's going on then anyway. That's what, that's, they got their name from this text. And that is what we're called to do. As young as we are, as old as we are, we're called to live a life of casting crowns. Because we're ever in the presence of God. We have to be careful that we don't think that, oh, we had this little hour of worship and we felt good and everything, and now we're going into this big bad world and we lose all of that joy and comfort, and we're kind of away from God's way. We never are a minute away, a second away, a millimeter away from the presence of God. That's right. So remember that you are beloved. Remember that you are the apple of His eye. And that it is only your call to do what He calls you to do, to worship Him. No more. He doesn't ask of you what you can't do. Uh, and that does include worry, by the way. Worry is an expression of you being presumptive because you think that you have it in your power to hold on to this thing, whatever it is, and by holding on, you can change the course of your life. That's sin. We have to let go. Responsibly, but let go. And in our hearts of hearts, trust Him who gives us the promise that I'll never leave you or forsake you. So here we have it. We have the saints represented in the 24 elders. We have the four living creatures who are like cherubim, but maybe not quite exactly because the number of wings is different between the cherubims and those who are described here. Um, those who are described here um, have six wings, and I believe the cherubim in Scripture have four um, one of the things, uh, just um, as an aside, is that had Satan not fallen and rebelled against God, Satan was the highest archangel. 
in the hierarchy of angels. And that he would have been there, I would imagine, as the one who also brings worship. But that was exactly his sin. That was his, that was his downfall. He rebelled against God. He was so close to God that he thought it possible to rebel against God Almighty. But what power God has left him in his depravity along with the demons. Who are these four commentators there to struggle to be dogmatic about that? I liked what one said. They represent, quote, an exalted order of angelic beings who as the immediate guardians of the throne lead the heavenly host in worship and adoration of God. That is their goal, as guardians of the throne, to lead the heavenly hosts in worship and adoration. Whose side are you on? Where do you fit in? Who do you actually worship? When it comes right down to it, as God sees it. You go through the ceremonies, you know, Sunday worship, that's all rather easy in a way. But does God know that your heart is focused on Him in all aspects of your life? Are you in your heart bowing down before the majesty of God? Like the uh, four do and the 24 elders do. Are you on a day-to-day -day basis casting your crown of victory, which is not your victory, it's His victory given you. The crown we have on our heads are crowns that were given us and which we in return as we worship today say, Lord Jesus, Lord God Almighty, we bring it to you. We say thank you in our praise and our worship of you. The intent of John seeing this scene of this celestial worship is to provide the church on earth that we follow suit. So what is your most ultimate desire in life? What drives the deepest soul, your passion in your soul? Is it to bow down before Lord God Almighty and present your crowns to Him who gave it to you? Or is it to celebrate your own victories? which are victories at best for but a time. And then they pass away. So there's an open door. And there's an open door so that we can bring the great commission to all the nations to say, call, we call you, we call you in Jesus Christ to come. Come into the presence of God. Worship Him. Be saved through the blood of the Lamb. Because there is a King to be worshipped. And He is sovereign. And he is on the throne. Praise be to God. And we are and we are blessed, privileged to be his worshippers. Now and forever. I end with reading another song. Psalm 148. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord from heaven. Praise him in the highest places. Praise him all his angels. 
Praise him, all his armies. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you heaven of heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he himself gave the command that they be created. He set them in place to last forever and ever. He gave the command and will not rescind it. Praise the Lord, you from the earth, you creatures of the sea and all you depths, fire, hail, snow, fog, and windstorm that carry out his command, mountains and every hill, fruit trees and cedars, living creatures and livestock, insects and flying birds, earthly kings and all peoples, nobles and all court officials of the earth, young men and young women alike, along with older people like me and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is lifted up. His majesty transcends earth and heaven. He raised up a source of strength for his people, an object of praise for all his holy ones, that is, for the people of Israel who are near him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Let's come before God in us. Oh Lord, we thank you that you have given us a time of anticipation of that day when we shall see all these things in their ultimate fullness fulfilled. Lord, we aspire to that day because we are uh, struggling, frankly, as your people in this world. We are daily in need of your grace to uh, give us the grace to repent of our sins, uh, to receive the strength of faith to believe your forgiveness and to trust in your finished work, Lord Jesus, and to also then know that you are coming again and that you will make that come true as well. But we have been waiting, Lord, so long. Already 2,000 years has the church been waiting for that promise to be fulfilled. But you are not one to break your promises. You keep your word because you yourself don't change. You do not change. And so our hope is in you now and forever. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen.